0: The Apostle Paul under house arrest, chained to a praetorium guard, an elite Roman guard of the day, Uh, uh, that's how he lived. And yet he wrote this letter to be a source of encouragement to all of us. So we're grateful for that. Hey, if you're here for the first time, uh, I hope you have already sensed God's presence. I hope you have felt at home. and when the gathering is over, you'll be changed, you know, uh, because you've been in God's presence and allowing the Lord to have His way, work in and through you, um, giving the Lord the freedom to uh, put a light in our in areas of our lives that we need to become more like Him. I tell you what, that's an exciting process. Um, so. Just encourage you to let that happen. You know what's incredible too? The God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who wants to have a relationship with you, he gave you the freedom to say no to that. Nobody's making you do it. You have the freedom to say yes to Jesus or say no to him. That's love. That's love. And so just uh, just keep that in mind as... Um, We walk through God's word this morning. We're going to go back to September 7th, 1892. Uh, A boxer named Gentleman Jim Corbett got into the ring and with arguably uh, the greatest boxer of all time of that day, John Sullivan. Sullivan was the last heavyweight champion of bare knuckle boxing. That's bare knuckle. That means you've got no gloves on. (laughs) In case you were wondering, uh, the first heavyweight champion with gloved boxing. Um, In 50 fights, Sullivan was undefeated, and the only fight he would ever lose in his career was this one. Corbett knocked Sullivan out in the 21st round, becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. But that wasn't the most impressive fight that Corbett had. Just the year before, he boxed his crosstown rival, Peter Jackson. The fight went on for 61 rounds and ended in a draw. Can you imagine that? <laughs> You'd say, oh, man, somebody's got to win. It's kind of like in the NFL where you go into overtime and you have ties. How can they do that? Right? That's not right. But it happens. And... 61 rounds, going in a draw, and uh, just a footnote, today, um, all professional fights are limited to 12 rounds. Aren't you happy for that? Yeah, makes life a little easier. So the question is, how do you come out of the corner in the boxing ring 61 times? How How do you do that? Well, gentleman Jim Corbett lived by a motto, and it was simply this, fight One more round. This is what he says. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you are so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you one on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. The man who fights one more round is never whipped. Some good advice, huh? You just fight one more round. Where did Paul? Paul picks up this imagery of boxing. Uh, he uses um, competition uh, language four different times in his writing in the New Testament, and the Greeks, where he was kind of uh, thinking of, they engage in a contest known. It was kind of a mix of boxing and wrestling. And it allowed tactics such as kicking and strangling. Pretty brutal, yeah. And so Paul is picking up on this uh, kind of bare-knuckle boxing imagery. He uses it in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-five. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. The uh, NIV puts it, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. Paul recognizes that even being a follower of Christ, listen, friends, if you have some idea that being a follower of Christ, that it's, it, it will simplify your life, it will, it, it will clear the path of all obstacles in this race of life, uh, Paul is saying that's not true. It's not true. Because he even says in Second Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. This is a fight. Life is a fight. Have you noticed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's not, you know, (laughs) crises free No, we we continue to, to struggle. We have problems. We have conflict. We have trouble along the way. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, the difference is you're not going through it alone. You're allowing Jesus to walk with you, to bring you through. That situation. And so, after becoming a follower of Christ, I mean, really, Paul's life was pretty easy when he was a Pharisee, but when he put his faith in Christ, it was like Pandora's box just was broken open and everything came against him. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11, Paul talks about the different situations he encountered. For example, he was whipped times without number. He faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes where his back was ripped open. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a whole night and day adrift on a sea. I faced danger from rivers and robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they're not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone, often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches that he helped plant. So when you look at Paul, when you, when you just Look at what all the obstacles that he went through. How did he keep coming off the ropes? How did he keep coming out of that corner in the boxing ring? How did he do it? How's that going for you this morning? Maybe the life has beat you up and it feels like you're in the 61st round, you know, and you're bloodied and you're bruised. And you're weak and you feel like giving up. Paul is challenging you and me this morning to fight one more round. That's what he's doing. He's encouraging us to keep coming out of that corner, you know, fight one more round. And this morning, maybe. You're beat up. Like Gentleman Jim Corbett after the 61st round, and it's a draw, and you want to give up. Um, I want to encourage you to know that Jesus Christ is here to help you fight one more round, to cross the finish line. And if you feel... This morning, watching online here in the auditorium, and you, you you're at that point. You know, how am I going to leave that corner in that boxing ring? How am I going to do it? I don't have I don't have the strength. Well, I'd like to read um, one verse. Moses wrote it, and Moses uh, was kind of the spiritual leader of the Israelites when they left Egypt, and in Psalm ninety four. Verse 19, listen to what he says. Maybe you can identify. When doubts filled my mind, you see, even Moses, the most humble man, he had doubts filling his mind. Maybe you've got doubts like, where is God? Why is God allowing me to get beat up like this? Why is that happening? It feels like God's checked out on me. I, I don't know if I can trust him. Well, Moses had that. Doubts filled his mind. But here's the deal. Moses didn't let the doubts camp out very long. He dealt with them. He brought them back to the Lord. Listen to what it says. Your comfort, talking about God, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. What's Moses saying? He came out to fight one more round. That's what it says. Your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. And that word hope means to make the heart Leap for joy. So man, if you're battered in the corner and you don't know if you can come out and fight one more round, we can look at the example of Moses here. When doubts filled my mind, he brought them to the Lord. And it says, Your comfort, God, gave me renewed hope and cheer. And so before we go on, if that's you, You're in the corner. You feel beat up. Just right where you're at. You can just very simply take your hands and, like this, it represents what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. Just right here, God. I'm giving it to you. I'm asking for you to pour your grace. Lord, to pour your grace, your strength back into me so I can finish one more round because you're faithful. Let's do that together. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, Moses was transparent in Expressing his doubts. And Lord, we all have doubts from time to time. And we know that's not wrong because it's in the Bible. But there's a right way of dealing with those doubts, and that's bringing them to you, Lord. Being honest, being transparent with you. And then, God, you, because you're faithful. Because you're a loving Heavenly Father. You give us hope. You make our hearts leap for joy once again. Even in the midst of a battle, you know, a boxing match which feels like we're not going to win. Lord, I pray this morning for each one of us with our hands wide open to you. You know what we need, Lord. You know what we're going through. You haven't disappeared. You haven't checked out. You haven't abandoned us, Lord. And so here we are. Lord, we need, we need you. We need your help. We need your comfort. We need your grace to fight one more round for the honor of your name. Lord, we're trusting you in this situation in this conflict, in this pain. We trust you. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. I just pray, Lord, that you'll make yourself known to every person in a very special way because of your great love. In Jesus' name. Amen amen if you have your Bibles, let's open to Philippians three and we're going to start at verse 13. <clears throat> Paul writing, no dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing talking about, you know, he's not perfect. He's not, you know, he doesn't have his act together. You know, all the ducks lined up. He's got issues too. Uh, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he's writing a letter and, you know, he, he's endeavoring that we're all on the same page, man. We're all, we're all in agreement, but it's kind of like a P.S. here. Um, if you disagree, on <laughs> um, some point, Notice Paul, he's not thinking he's going to take care of it. He says, I believe God will make it plain to you. Isn't that cool? I believe God is big enough to handle it. He's going to work in your life. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Man, Paul, thank you for writing that. that. That is good. That is so encouraging. And uh, people at Life Church today, we say yes to your word. Yes, yes indeed. We thank you for your word, Lord, because yes. we sure need it today. Yes. We need to bank on it, God, and we thank you that we can trust it yes. and apply it to our lives. So, Quick review, Um, last week we hit, I focused on one thing, verse 13, Paul says, I haven't achieved it, but I focused on the one thing, and the one thing is fighting one more round. That's basically what he's saying. He's talking about this one thing is crossing the finish line, at the end of your life, that spiritually, you are not, you know, you're not crawling, but you're running with your eyes fixed on the prize. You're strong. Your faith is strong. That's where Paul's at. And then he talks about forgetting the past, and that's a special kind of forgetfulness. When Anita was telling her story, you know, she, she told of her past. But if you catch the beginning to the end, she's not camping out on her past, is she? No, she's expressing it to say God's grace. Was big enough. And God is helping me live for him today, and I'm gonna live for him into the future. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Paul's talking about the same thing. We all have a history. We all have stuff in our past that, man, we want, we we become a prisoner to our memories. And God doesn't want us to live like that, man. He wants us to know that we're forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm free. No more shame. No more guilt. Do you know how that would change your life to know that? Instead of feeling that weight, you know, I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if God will forgive me. No, he has and he will because he's faithful and he wants to and we have to let him do it. And so Paul, you know, in Romans eight one, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, take off your your boxing gloves, take those boxing gloves off. I remember uh, when I was in middle school, my dad bought me a pair of sixteen uh, ounce boxing gloves. I don't know why he did it. Honestly, I don't. He he, he grew up on the south side of Chicago. So I don't know. He, he thought maybe he wanted to use them. I, you know, um, but they're big, man. They were like pillows, you know. And so uh, some of my friends, we would we would have fun with them, you know. But those gloves were so big, it was hard to get through. It was because it was like a wall. You put your two gloves up, <laughs> and it's like you're protected, you know. So so anyway. I had a pair of boxing gloves, and what Paul is saying, take the boxing gloves off. Aren't you tired of beating yourself up from your past? It's time to take the gloves off, put them on the ground, and say, I'm forgiven. And I believe God to be true, that he will forgive me. Yeah. So, so there it is. Let's take those gloves off. And um, knowing that we don't want to allow our past to influence how we're living today or into the future. And the other thing Paul says, look forward, look, verse 13, see, and looking forward to what lies ahead. Uh, we never should be com- become content with our past or where we're living today that we just put it on spiritually, uh, spiritual cruise control. You know, we think, I've gone so far and um, I've I've i I've arrived spiritually, and so because I have made progress in my past, that you know I'm good. I'm good. Well, the moment you stop growing, you start dying spiritually, and that's a fact. You can't survive if you're going to live off your you know your past. It's like um, I had a cup of coffee. Yesterday and this morning, I could have said, You know, I had coffee yesterday. I'm good. I'm good for today. I don't need to make coffee today. Do you know how much fun it is to make coffee? It's fun. I, I think it's fun. Uh, listening to that machine gurgle, and then when it's all done, three beeps boop, boop, boop. And that's when I get fired up, man. Right? So I had my coffee yesterday, but I had coffee this morning, see, because that coffee yesterday is not going to hold me today. When I have coffee, it feels like I'm on vacation. So I don't care where I am in the world, I am always on vacation, see, isn't that cool? Yeah, man, yeah, I'm good with that. So, so that's, that's where we're going with this, you know, relying on our past, it's not going to hold us today. We have to keep it rolling. We have to keep it fresh, man. And allow God to work in and through our lives. So, um, that leads us to sub-point one that we hit last week. I will finish strong by the grace of God. Travis hit this two weeks ago about talking out loud, you know, saying things out loud. And, and this has really been kind of... Um, uh, rolling through my head that I, I don't think we do this enough in the body of Christ. You know, uh, we, we talk about heaven, but living our life here and now is, this is a process. And we've to, to, to get in that ring every single day and to fight another round. How do we do that? We keep our eyes on the one thing and that's finishing strong. And we don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the grace of God. But, To verbalize that, to start talking to your family, your friends, man, I'm going to finish strong by the grace of God. Get it into your head, burn it into your head. Don't give a place in your mind where you can start, you know, you get tempted to, to relax or become comfortable in your relationship with the Lord. So by communicating, articulating, verbalizing it out loud, not just thinking it in your head, I'm going to finish strong, man. I mean, we can, we can start saying that to each other. Right here and right now. You know, I'm going to finish strong, man. And if you start seeing me mess around or drifting or wandering, I, I'm, I want you to get into my face. We need people like that in our lives. They love us enough to... Encourage us to fight one more round. Right? That's right. So we press on and we saw the image of the dog going after the rabbit last week. Remember? Was that dog just chilling? Was the rabbit, I hope that dog gets me. No, there was there was some tenacity in that hunter. We've got some hunters in this place. I'm sure some hunters online too. Uh, I've listened to your stories, man. You know, when you have to go after the prey, you run them down. I mean, not in a car, but I mean you (laughs) you run after them. Right? You pursue them with intensity. That's the imagery Paul is, is giving us right here, right now. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes in seven eight, finishing is better than starting. We don't have to talk about that because everybody in this room, and even online, you know how many people start, but how many finish? Strong. Hmm? You don't have to live long to see the casualty rate people that don't take their walk with Christ seriously enough. They think it's a game, you know, that you can check in and check out whatever, however you're, you're feeling for the day. That's not how you do it. And so Paul tells us in Second Timothy 4.7, looking forward, um, he had a death sentence on his life, and he knew Uh, Being in a dungeon, he wasn't under house arrest here. He was in a dungeon in in the lower levels of Rome. It was a brutal place, but writing, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Notice the three I haves, friends. There's three I haves there. I have fought. I have finished. I have remained faithful. I'm telling you, that is, a, that is a life lesson that we can all learn from. That every single day, Lord, I will, I will get into that ring and fight one more round. Lord, I am going to finish this race, and I'm going to remain faithful to you. Okay. It's good. It's good. So, number two in your notes, I will keep my focus. Um, verse 15a, let all who... Our spiritually mature agree on these things. Paul, uh, when he's talking about the spiritually mature, he's, he's got verses 12 through 14 in mind, that they too are following after Christ with that kind of tenacity. They're, they're not compromising. And his own personal aggressive effort in personal holiness and, and modeling the character of Christ well, he's talking about the spiritually mature are, are lined up with him in this process. And so I'm not going to be distracted. Paul says, I'm going to to keep my eyes on the finish line. And um, just like he said in verse 14, receiving that heavenly prize, which is what we look forward to. That word agree, let all who are spiritually mature agree, means to exercise the mind. It means to direct their mind toward a particular thing. So as a follower of Christ, we Travis kind of hit that this morning that we don't go by our feelings; we talk to our feelings. Now this is what Paul's doing. He's he's saying we must direct our mind to pursue holiness. You know, I'm going to live for God today. I'm going to represent Jesus well today, with His help. We've got to have that single focus. And um, what Paul is addressing here. Um, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Um, it seems that some in the church at Philippi, he's been gone for 10 years and he's, he's kind of hearing stuff come back to him while he's under house arrest that it, it seems like some followers of Christ back in Philippi have become complacent in their faith. You know? They become comfortable. They become comfortable. They become lukewarm. And um, they've kind of cooled off in their relationship with the Lord. And um, uh, Kerry Newhoff um, is a pastor up in Canada, and he does podcasts um, daily, writes blogs, and um, listen to what he he has observed the last few years. It's titled Fear Isn't Keeping Them Home, It's Indifference. Well, why church attendance has plummeted. Um, Many people who can't find their way back to church have no trouble finding their way to Target, an NBA game, dinner out, a tropical vacation, family reunions, or a concert. What gives? He says it's indifference. What I'm picking up from people who haven't gone back to church, and even among some who have, isn't fear, it's indifference. They know what church is, and after the habit disruption that happened during COVID, they grew indifferent to in-person attendance. Indifference is defined as a lack of interest, concern, sympathy, or unimportance. They don't hate in-person church. There's no surge of strong emotions. It's just no longer important. They don't, um, it's like they've assessed their life, reconsidered what matters, and decided that attending church just wasn't that important in the end. He says the hardest part about indifference is that it engenders neither love nor hate. It's more like a shrug that grows into obliviousness. It's, there's, just not, there's just not a strong will of emotions when it comes to indifference. The antidote to indifference then is passion. That's what Paul's talking about. You are never indifferent to things you're passionate about. Now, friends, I understand. I'm, I'm not. I thought it was a good article because I think that's happened. You know, and uh, I know at Life Church we've extended grace to people. We get it. We get it. But I think what Kerry's writing about here is you have to be careful not to allow indifference to creep into your life, you know, where you just shrug your shoulders and say, it's no big deal, man. I don't don't need it. It's not important to me. That's what he's warning about. And I want to encourage you, man, if you're watching online here today, if that attitude of indifference, you know, it's no big deal if I show up at church or not, you know, I get there I get there we need to be careful really we need to be careful these days we need to be more I think committed than ever before to being together with the body of Christ and with God's people yeah because I know I know we'll get we'll get to this uh as we drill down here but um Paul is shooting a flare into the air here when he's talking about those who are spiritually mature. You know? In other words, he's saying they haven't become indifferent. They're, they're pressing on. They're, they're running after that finish line. R.T. Kendall, he's a pastor, author, 86 years old, writes this the greatest opposition to what God is doing today comes from those who were on the cutting edge of what God was doing yesterday. The greatest opposition to what God is doing today comes from those who were on the cutting ed- edge of what God was doing yesterday. In other words, they were running hard yesterday, but they became comfortable. And now they're pushing back with indifference about pressing on with God. See? so so that's where we need to be spiritually alert is that happening in my life you know is there something i need to realign in my relationship with the, have i become indifferent so we need to be honest about that number 3 i will allow god to work in me verse 15b <laughs> If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Uh, to me, I think that's a good prayer right there. Um, Paul is alluding to some folks back in Philippi have have uh, wrong thinking has crept in, you know, Uh and Paul is really challenging them to press on with Christ. He was confident God would make that known to him. Isn't it good? That Paul and, and that's the cool thing, man. When you have a, a relationship with the Lord that's that's growing, you have a right perspective of who God is. It's not like you've got to try and manipulate things, you know. You've got to you've got to ma- manipulate, you've got to put people on a guilt trip, you've got to condemn. No, no, no. No, you don't do that. Why? Because you know God is big enough. God could do it. God can work in their lives. And so this apathetic attitude that had crept into the church, Paul is saying, I trust God is big enough. He can work it out. He can take care of it. So um, Paul had heard that some of them, some had stopped this sprinting. To the, to, the, to the finish. They've, they kind of picked up this spectator mentality. You know I'm just going to go on the sidelines. I'm going to go up into bleachers for a while. You know? I'm going to let somebody else do what needs to be done. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to watch for a while. I'm going to take it in instead of being involved. So Paul is dealing with that. Paul says God will reveal their passivity and reignite their spiritual fire for him. And that's where, you know, we've talked about this before in Philippians uh, 2.13. Again, for God is working in you. This is where the trouble comes in. Some live their lives for God was working in me. And they call it the end of the day. God was working in me. I'm good with that. No. Paul says, for God is present tense. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Is that happening in your life today? Is God working in you presently? I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Well, once again, Paul is saying, I'm, you know, if you're disagreeing with my mindset, my lifestyle, I'm, I'm trusting God, that He'll open your eyes. Um, because Paul knew well enough, you can't force people to become more spiritual. Have you noticed? You can't force people to do that. They, they just push back. They, their hearts become harder to that. And as parents, friend, you know, parents, we have some parents here. We pray for our children. We lead our children. But we can't force our children to grow spiritually. We can't. We can't do it. You can't force people to walk in obedience to read the Bible. You just can't do that. And so what do you do when people who, you know, they're not growing? um, You demonstrate it with your life. You model what that looks like in front of those. You pray for them and you leave it in the Lord's hands. You don't let somebody's lack of um, growth deteriorate your relationship with the Lord. No. Um, You may, if you plug into Christian podcasts or blogs um, on the web Um, deconstruction is becoming a a very popular term in in the Christian community deconstruction people are deconstructing their faith and um, Hillary Morgan Ferrer uh, addresses that in our culture today she says as of today there are 293,000-plus posts on Instagram utilizing the hashtag um, hashtag deconstruction. The vast majority are from people who've deconverted from Christianity, become progressive Christians, rejected core historic doctrines of the faith. So she asked the question, what does that mean uh, by the deconstruction movement? The process of deconstruction usually goes like this. An influential... And you're seeing this like um, uh, Christian singers, uh, Christian authors, uh, their influential self-proclaimed Christian announces to their thousands, millions of fans that they no longer believe in the faith on which their careers were built. Through the process of deconstruction, they now realize that X, Y, and Z questions have no good answers. Usually things that theologians have been discussing for Hundreds of years. So it's nothing new. Due to this perceived lack of answers and usually accompanied by stories of harm they have seen within the church, they can no longer call themselves Christian or trust the Bible. They are all about some Jesus, but they feel the need to apologize to all the people they may have hurt back when they adhere to biblical principles. There's another word for this phenomenon. It's called Apostasy. That's pretty strong talk. Apostasy is leaving the faith or deconversion. And it's not a new thing. So put your mind at ease this morning. She says, since the beginning of Christianity, we've seen some people who have been apostatized walked away from the faith. The early church was dealing with this within the first generation of Christianity, But we are talking about more than a process here. We're talking about a genuine movement. It's kind of like the cool thing right now. And I want to challenge you, be careful of who you're listening to. If I were to break it down, I'd say a movement consists of, one, a group of people who are, number two, journeying together for a common purpose, Gaining adherence. The new category, Christian deconstruction, fits all the criteria. Not only are people questioning the tenets of faith, but they are finding community with others doing the same thing. That's the whole point of adopting the label. It gives them a group to belong to. So it's cool. Sometimes they see themselves as the only ones bold enough to question traditional Christian teachings. And when they meet others who are questioning like themselves, they lock arms and buckle down together. And like any movement, those who most fervently embrace the label are trying to get others to join them on the quest, in this case, by vocal and public deconstruction announcements intended to evangelize listeners into the club. So I think that's a good explanation, don't you? Travis has been talking about 2 Peter, about false prophets, false teachers. Friends, this this is false teaching going on. It's right here, right now in America. And it's cool. You know, to certain people, where they can deconstruct their faith. They can dissect their faith. They can blame somebody. My dad made me go to church. It's all his fault. You know. (laughs) Be careful. That's why you read the Bible and you build a relationship with the Lord. You know his heart. You know his character. And these questions that don't seem to get answers over centuries and millennia, we'll get those answers in heaven one day. But do not become diverted off the path with the popularity of deconstructing your faith today, friends. We go back to doubting. Doubting. It's not deconstructing. Doubting is, we, we're human beings. But we bring those doubts to the Lord or even somebody we can trust and say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm sensing. You know, I went through that in a, a part of my life when I was a, a young man. And uh, I had to put that on the table and say God, let's let's start from ground zero again. You know, I know you love me. I know you died for me, and I want to live for you. That's a good starting point. So there. Um, don't let you know if you get you know you've got friends deconstructing their faith. Don't let that influence you. Pray for them. You know. Pray for them. Uh, going back to, to the parents with their children, I do believe that um, as, a, as a parent, you have a responsibility to train your son or daughter to follow after Jesus Christ. You have that responsibility. You cannot hope the church does it, the, 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 the volunteers at church, uh, youth pastor, children's pastor. Uh, listen, when you compare the hours that a, a child is in away, you know, away from church during the week, that's why it's got to happen in the home. Right. You can talk back. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Must be in a valley somewhere, man. That was kind of delayed. Huh? Dads, do you pray with your children at night? Do you, do you put them into bed? Do you read the Bible to them at the end of the day? Do you bless them with words of life? I thank you. I thank God that you're my son. I thank God you're my daughter. You're a gift to me. See? Listen, there's a battle, there's a fight going on for your children today in our culture. I don't know if you've recognized that. It is raging, it is violent. It's vile. And as a parent, there has to be that holy anger inside you to say, I am going to stand with my son or daughter. You know? And yes, they have the freedom to choose, but By God's help and grace, man, I'm going to stand in the gap. Right? I'm going to stand in the gap. I don't don't care what it costs me. And so there has to be, Paul is saying, no room for passivity. We can't let that happen. We must be moving on to finish strong. And even that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, you know, Though none go with me, still I will follow. See that determination? Though none go with me, still I will follow. And I'm going to finish strong. And so maybe God uh, is kind of tapping you on the shoulder, you know. Is there apathetic thinking with you spiritually? Is there, you've kind of let your Bible reading drift off, your time talking to the God and letting him talk back to you. That's kind of, Gone to the wayside. Today would be a great day to make those corrections in the process. I I remember um, I uh, I forgot where I was at. I think it was a restaurant. This is years ago, and uh, there was an elderly gentleman there. Uh, with his wife, and for some reason, we started talking about the Lord. And uh, I remember him saying, "You know, I was uh, I was baptized, and I'm confirmed. But there was there was the attitude: you don't need to talk to me about Jesus because I'm good. I was baptized as a baby. I was I was confirmed." I'm do I'm good. See? That's not in the Bible. And it grieved me, really, there was almost a hardness to his heart, you know, in the response. I was kind of pushing the envelope like you, you know, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And there was no desire. I'm good. So today, today, I think Paul is saying, you know what, if you've been disagreeing with the good news, the gospel, you know, getting to heaven, I, I don't agree with Jesus is the only way. You know, I don't agree that um, all I need to do is put my belief in Jesus. I got to work hard, I got to work harder. You know, we're trusting, we're trusting that God is big enough to speak to you today. You know, He's big enough. And maybe today there needs to be some realignment. As Paul said, man, we're we're trusting God to to change your thinking. And we're doing that this morning as well. If you're coasting cruising, hard-nosed rejection of God today is a great day to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. I believe. You know? I believe. Like the criminal on the cross, I believe. Jesus, you died for me. You took my place. You became my substitute. Jesus, I recognize that in this world right now with Ukraine and Russia and China, Iran, my world is crumbling all around me. Gas prices are going up every day. It can take your breath away, can't it? It can. Let's be real. To fight another round in the boxing ring, we need the Lord. We need his help. We need his stability. We need his love. right where you're at, you can say yes to that. Father, we thank you this morning. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. How we need you. How we need you. Whether those that have rejected you, today is the day they say yes to you, Lord, I believe. Maybe others who have become so accustomed with living this life with Christ, they've lost the passion. Indifference has settled in. Lord, will you forgive us for that? Lord, will you help us restore the passion once again? In that relationship with you. Because Lord. At the end of the day. I believe. All of us would say. I want to finish strong. I want to cross that finish line. Strong. For the Lord. I want him to be honored in my life. Living for him is what's most important. So Today. Oh, Lord, may we be open, honest, transparent with you. This world is messing with us, Lord. It's trying to rob us of our sleep. It's trying to steal our joy. But today, Lord, we once again declare to you how much we need you. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you. So speak to us, Spirit of God, individually. In areas of our lives that we've let go, we've abandoned those spiritual disciplines. Today, Lord, it's a great day to start all over again with you. And we know that you're big enough to make that happen in each one of us.